In part one, I talked about the broader environment that has a bearing on firm activities and performance. Macro forces such as political and economic factors or ecological and sociocultural effects. These macro environmental factors are at the other circle of the focal firm's external environment. And these factors on average account for 25% of the firm performance. In this part of the lecture video series, I will talk about the industry effects, which may explain 20% of the firm profitability. Although it's not always easy to draw a fine line of an industry like uh, the one over here in the figure, we can say that companies who are pretty much buying from the same set of suppliers and selling to the same set of customers operate in the same industry. Before going to the details of how to analyze an industry, we may first think about the motivation to analyze an industry. When you analyze the factors and actors shaping an industry's business structure, we may have a rough but useful idea as to the average profitability we may get when we operate in this particular industry. What are the profit margins on average? How can I improve the profitability and gain about industry average profit margins? How can I locate myself within this industry to achieve above average profitability? Am I going to be in the club of price cutters or in the high-end price producers? What is the average profitability in these two different clusters of companies? Which strategic position fits the best for my capabilities? What does it mean to create strategic position that creates above industry average profitability? Strategic position is related to the firm's ability to create value to customers while containing um, the cost to do so. You may increase value by differentiating your products and services through high quality, high variety, and the like, or you may increase the value to customers by providing just right level of quality at lower price. What determines how successful you are is your ability to maximize the difference between value you create to your customers and the cost of its value creation to you. It can be possible by maximizing the value while keeping costs acceptable or making the value acceptable but minimizing the costs. At the end of the day, the companies who generate greater profit margins will exceed industry profit norms and gain competitive advantage. The most widely used and accepted industry analysis tool or framework is Michael Porter's five forces or competitive forces model. He is the founder of the modern strategy field. He is a professor at Harvard Business School and the author of 19 books and over 130 articles. In this class, 
We will learn more of his stuff later in this semester. He defines competition broadly by including not only your direct rivals in the radar, but also suppliers, customers, the new entrants, and substitutes into consideration. He talks about bargaining power or negotiating power of actors while examining suppliers and customers. Also, he evaluates the level of threat that substitutes, potential rivals, and existing rivals pose on your firm. We are basically interested in how strong these five forces in the industry. To understand their strengths, we evaluate their bargaining power or level of threat. We specifically deal with what extent suppliers and customers have bargaining power over us. Are we able to increase the prices without being too much worried about losing customers? Similarly, while making purchase deals with suppliers, do we or our suppliers have much to lose if we don't agree on the terms of the purchase agreement, meaning the price of the raw materials? Who has greater power on the final price of the product or the raw material? When it comes to assessing the effect of rivals, potential rivals or substitutes, indirect rivals from other industries, we talk, uh, we talk about and evaluate how big a threat are they to our success in the industry. Don't forget that in an industry analysis, we are very much interested in the average profitability that the industry can on average provide us. All these bargaining power or level of threat considerations are to evaluate the pressure they may put on the value or cost constituents of a profit margin. If suppliers have greater power over the terms of the purchasing contracts, then we may expect the pressure on cost side of the simple equation, right? So keeping the V part constant, a powerful supplier, for example, would diminish our profit potential. So the rule of thumb would be that the stronger the five forces, the lower the industry prof industry's profit potential, making the industry less attractive for all businesses, including us and the rivals. The opposite condition is straightforward logic. The weaker the five forces, the greater the industry's profit potential. So the industry is more attractive for businesses making us and rivals stay or enter. Enough talk about the rationale of the tool itself in general. Let's discuss the details of each force in the model and let's start with the power of suppliers. The power of suppliers is high if the number of suppliers that you may buy the necessary raw materials is not high. If there are only a few suppliers in an industry, the supplier will know that you don't have many options to go with. So the prices of the raw materials will reflect this power and suppliers will charge you a higher price than they would be able to if you had more alternatives to go with. 
An extreme example of a very powerful supplier is Microsoft's office products, which is actually a monopoly power. A second factor that may increase the supplier power is related to size differential between your company and the supplier. If you are a critical customer for the supplier because you constitute a substantial portion of the supplier's total sales, then the supplier will not want to lose uh, you and may be more eager to provide you with some privileges including lower prices, higher flexibility in payment, higher quality, more say on scheduling on when to receive the raw materials and so on. All these privileges or the lack thereof will influence the value or cost sides of the profit equation. Supplier specific investments mean that you have to invest in an equipment or any other faculty in your processes to be able to consume or utilize the things you purchase from this supplier. The nature of your business requires you to first pick the supplier among alternatives and then make investments that are specifically made for the materials that you purchase from the supplier you picked. This would reduce your power over the materials power over the supplier because due to the nature of your business, when you negotiate the price of the raw materials with the supplier, your supplier will know that you cannot just walk away without incurring extra costs to buy from other suppliers. You have to tie yourself to this particular supplier. And when you want to work with other suppliers, you have to write off all, all, all the investments that you have made already and make some new ones. Even if there are other suppliers that you pick or you are an essential buyer for the supplier or you don't have to make supplier specific investments, you may practically do not have many choices with the high quality or differentiation provided by a specific supplier. The supplier's products are better than the others in the market that you practically are left with only one alternative. Of course, this is the extreme case that I'm talking here, but if the supplier's products are differentiated, this would give the supplier an increased power than a case where the supplier's products are undifferentiated or standard. Likewise, if it's difficult to find an alternative to supplier, either in the form of the raw materials you are looking for or in the form of its substitutes. For example, if you're using oil uh, derivatives in your manufacturing processes for energy purposes, solar or wind energy can be a way to substitute this, uh, this raw material. In such a case, the oil supplier's power would be lower than the case in which there were no alternatives to oil. If you are threatened by the suppliers that they can take over your company through a hostile acquisition, then you don't have much option, but to be nice and easygoing when you're negotiating the price of raw materials. 
Okay, let's examine the potential effect of buyers on our profitability and have to analyze and identify the degree of buyer effect. Same logic goes for the buyer power. If there are only a few buyers that would purchase your products, if they buy in large volumes, so account for a great deal of your income, if your products are not differentiated and your existing and potential customers do have many alternatives, including you and your rivals, Lastly, if your customers have the capabilities to make your products themselves, such as Tesla's integration of battery production and its operations, the buyer's negotiating power is increased. You are in a position to take actions to offer low prices to your customers so they continue buying your products. For example, why would they buy your products if your products are standardized? and you offer the same price as your rivals. They can find these standard products elsewhere, right? You have to at least provide them with lower prices if your products are standard. If customers' switching costs are low, either because your products are standard or there are other alternatives that they can go with, you have to give your customers a reason to buy your products and stay loyal to your products. Why do we as incumbent firms care about entrance or shall we? New businesses entering your current industry can be a threat to your profitability. They increase the supply, increase competition in either cost or quality terms, so depress the profit potential of an industry. But as you may recognize from your econ classes, positive profits in a perfect economic context with no barriers to enter attract new companies. So the more profitable an industry is, the more attractive it is for new firms to enter and the higher threat of entry. What would discourage new companies from entering your industry are called entry barriers. Even if the industry is attractive with its high profit margins, you would be protected from the entry threat if the barriers to enter are high. So you better find ways to create or increase entry barriers to the extent possible. What are the sources of entry barriers? Here is um, a non-exhaustive list of entry barriers, and let's examine what they mean, how they discourage entry and create barriers. Economies of scale is a very well-known phenomenon, especially among business students and business people. So I don't think I need to explain what it is, but how is it related to high barriers of entry and why would newcomers be discouraged by economies of scale? Think of an industry where surviving or successful incumbents produce in large quantities. They enjoy the benefits of their large scale production by reducing their per unit costs. So in order to compete with such a gang, 
newcomers have to produce in large quantities as well. Otherwise, their cost structure would not allow them to compete with incumbents. Who can produce in large quantities? Only the ones who have money to invest in large-scale manufacturing facilities, or the ones who have access to capital to make these huge investments. Therefore, high investments and capital discourage the newcomers who don't have such capital or don't think it's worth this investment. So as an incumbent, you're magically shielded by the economies of scale advantages you have. Network effects. Network effects is related to positive externalities. Your existing network of customers have a positive effect on each other. Why would you use Facebook or WhatsApp if nobody in your social circle uses it, right? A strong network of customers would definitely discourage new companies to do the same business as you do because convincing your existing customers one by one is a very difficult task for the newcomer. Only if majority of customers agree on switching on the new company, then the new company can survive in your business. It is very clear when you give the example of Facebook or other social media companies, but how about other businesses? Can you give me a company that is not in social media, but has successfully built network effects? If your customers do not have to bear costs to go to another buyer, then you have some advantages that protect you from newcomers because the newcomers would face challenges convincing your customers to buy from them. For example, assume that it took you years to learn how to use SaaS, a statistical package. Why would you switch to Stata, another package that does pretty, uh, that does pretty much the same thing and invest more of your time and effort in Stata? You may also some advantages that are not directly associated with your size. For example, would you buy HTC smartphone even if you know that it's better than Apple's iPhone? This is a real story. HTC used to be a smartphone producer for big name companies like Apple and Samsung. But when it wanted to sell its phones under its own brand, it failed it had to exit branded phone business. Sometimes brand loyalty is such a big castle that does not allow newcomers to enter the industry. Preferential access can also function as a barrier. For example, two colored sugar products, Pepsi and Coke, have such strong relations with distribution channels that no new company can sell their standard products. This may be another example to the brand loyalty as well. Cumulative learning and experience can also defer your potential rivals to enter. It takes time to learn some capabilities. And if these capabilities are at the core of business success, then newcomers cannot compete with you. 
they cannot build the experience you gained throughout many years at the night. This is what we call time compression diseconomies. It means you cannot rush on accumulated knowledge and experience. As we already discussed in the first part of chapter three, government can also become a player in business environment by impacting rules and legislations related to business doings. Take the case of increased trade barriers between China and the US recently. After the Trump administration, the import taxes have increased by 500%. So it is way more costly for producers who manufacture in China to sell their products to the US market. For some Chinese origin products, it is not worth selling to US market under these changed economic realities. If you have weapons to fight against your new rivals, they will get scared of the harm they will get if they enter in your territory, which is your industry. Weapons in a business are price discounting, cost increase through big budget uh, marketing efforts or increased services or quality. Remember the story of Amazon and Barnes Noble. Barnes Noble threatened Amazon to enter the online book business, but it took huge damage when Amazon successfully retailed, retaliated it by reducing shipping time, delivery fees, and included new services to its business. Second to last competitive actor or factor we will analyze is the substitute companies and their products and technologies that can be a threat to our business. Substitutes mean products or services that can substitute your products or services. For example, Zoom substituted for in-person meetings during the pandemic. Substitutes may become a threat without warning as they're not obvious rivals. In the case of smartphone revolution, digital cameras become obsolete because smartphones substitute for the photo services of digital cameras. Although it's intuitive to say that we need to be alert to such threats, most of the time it's easier said than done. But sometimes you may be lucky enough to observe the changes uh, in your industry due to intruding technologies from other industries. For example, improvements in oil derivatives change the structure and use of plastic materials, and they become, became a substitute for steel materials in many automobile components. And this shift didn't happen at night. Early warning was available for steel producers to take action. Plastic being one of the worst materials for recycling, steel producers have an advantage um, over plastic substitution. Steel can be melted and reformed in nearly infinite number of times to make new products of the same quality as the first. Plastic by contrast, significantly degrade degrades each time it is recycled. Still, plastic is cheaper, 
and preferable in cost terms for many products today. So price performance relation matters. As plastic is cheap and, and as durable as steel, it was a big threat for steel producers, especially in their business with automobile producers. Also automobile producers do not have much to invest to use plastic instead of steel when cost benefit, benefit analysis is made. Another example is the trade-off and switching costs between digital cameras and the smartphones to take picture. Smartphones serve to the same customer need and there's almost no cost to switch to smartphones for taking photo needs as the customer has already paid for the phone and the camera comes with it. As a last note on substitutes, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between substitutes and rivals. Rivals include all of the firms that compete in the same industry, while substitutes refer to products that are outside of the boundary of the industry. But it's not always easy to identify the boundaries of an industry. Take the earlier example of plastics that become a threat for the steel industry. Oil derivatives and plastics are in totally different industries than the steel industry. But when considered in the context of automobile manufacturing raw material, they may be defined as if they are in the same industry. The last but not the least, and maybe the most recognized one by the businesses is the apparent rivals or direct rivals. It is obvious that in many respects, Samsung is the competitor of Apple. Staples, Staples competes with Office Depot. Then we look at the tools for direct competition. All the tools you learned in your marketing classes play the starring role. Shall we cut the prices to beat the rivals in market share? How about introducing new products or product features? Advertising campaigns, service improvements, and many more. Which tool to use, when, and the frequent attempts and high investments to handle with rivalry is the sign of intense competition in the industry. The intensity of rivalry is greatest if competitors are numerous or roughly equal in size with you. Um, and in terms of power, industry growth is slow and exit barriers are high due to highly specialized assets or management's devotion to a particular business. What the heck of do these mean? Take online networking or social media industry. By 2006, when Facebook became available to users throughout the world, it was one of the most dominantly used social networking and sharing sites together with YouTube and Twitter. Although these sites remain some of the most popular online networking platforms on the internet, due to the increasing attention and demand from users, other sites like Snapchat, WhatsApp, Instagram, Pinterest, and many more began popping up to benefit from the lucrative growth and market opportunities in this industry. 
As you can tell from the graph, social networking industry is apparently facing with intense competition from new players such as TikTok. TikTok launched, um, was launched in September 2016, and by mid-2018, it had already reached half a billion users. To put this in uh, perspective, TikTok gained uh, on average about 20 million new users per month over this period, once dominant platforms have disappeared. In 2008, HI5, MySpace, and Friendster were close competitors to Facebook, yet by, 2000, by 2012, they had virtually no share of the market. The case of MySpace is remarkable considering that in 2006, it temporarily suppressed Google as the most visited website in the US. Most of the social media platforms that survived the last decade have shifted significantly in what they offer users. Twitter, for example, didn't allow users to upload videos or images in the beginning, but since 2011, this is possible. And today more than 50% of the content viewed on Twitter includes images and videos. Taken this brief background about the social networking industry, what can we tell about the intensity of competition in this business? Let's examine each criteria. Earlier, I set the simple rule that if the industry growth is slow, the number, size, and power of competitors are high, and exit barriers are high, the rivalry in an industry is high, which is not good for the profits of a company. If there are many companies in the industry, you're one of many alternatives whom your customers can pick from, so you have to stand out among other companies to grab the attention of customers. This means, in turn, that your costs would increase as you may need to add new services or new features to your products, or you have to increase the advertisement budget, or you have to cut prices. Intense competition is hence not good for you because it will reduce your profit margins. Anyways, how do we understand whether competition is intense in an industry? For the social networking industry, for example, we know that industry is growing. In just a decade, social media users reached two billions. There are 7.7 .7 billion people in the world with at least 3.5 billion of US online. This means Social media platforms are used by one in three people in the world and more than two thirds of all internet users. The increase in social media users each year is more than 10%, meaning that each year, almost half a billion, half a million people start using online social networking platforms. So the industry is attractive to new companies due to rapidly increasing and vast number of users, the customers so to speak. As such, after the first social media site to reach a million monthly active users, which is MySpace, 
many new companies, including Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and many others you know of today have entered the market. MySpace is now not even among the first 20 companies with the largest customer base. So who is the biggest? The winner of the game seems to be Facebook. When you look from the perspective of Facebook, the competition is not that high. Industry is, um, industry's growth is high. The number of competitors seems to be high, but they either exit the industry or they do not have many users. If they happen to grab the Facebook's users' attention, they all of a sudden become a member of Facebook's family. Take Instagram and WhatsApp, the two big players. They have been acquired by Facebook, so they are not the rivals anymore. The second, second biggest company in terms of the user size is YouTube, and that's almost it. All in all, when you look from the Facebook's perspective, competition is not very intense, not too many companies with the same size, and the companies who entered once did either exit or exists without being a threat to steal users from Facebook because entering the business is basically investing in a website. As I talked about each of the five forces in the model, I want to make a final note on how to use five forces model while making the industry analysis. First, take the perspective of the incumbent firm. Five forces model takes the snapshot of the industry at a point in time, the size and power of customers, the suppliers, their power over you, the switching costs of the actors, including you, and many other criteria that I talked earlier in this lecture. And based on the overall picture you take on the industry structure, what is your company standing in the picture? My company is a greater power over suppliers because let's say I buy in bulk due to my high market share. Think about Walmart. Doesn't Walmart have a huge power over companies who sell their products at Walmart stores? Walmart's power over its suppliers is reflected on the prices Walmart pays to these suppliers. But when you look from a typical local grocery store's perspective, the many suppliers may not turn into a price advantage because the local store might not, may not have the power to reduce the cost of products it buys from these suppliers due to its low volume of sales. Second, make sure that you define each factor clearly. For example, for Walmart, the suppliers are the companies who sell their products at Walmart. Customers of Walmart are anyone who look for a variety in a store with low prices. It is also important to make sure that you define the industry correctly. Then you say Target is in retail industry, then will you consider Macy's as your rival? It is not, right? Defining the industry correctly helps you identify the five factors more clearly. Finally, you take the, um, you take the picture, you define your position in the industry, but in the end, the aim of making this analysis 
is to understand whether it's worth staying in the industry or looking for other options to diversify in new markets. Um, take HTC. HTC was originally an outsourcer of um, Samsung and Nokia. I mean, HTC used to produce handset devices for branded companies, but then it wanted to leverage its know-how and capacity to produce technologically advanced handset devices with its own brand. But unfortunately, the strategy um, didn't work out well because the network effects of Apple and Samsung didn't let HTC to build its brand on the eyes of the customers. So they found the industry not attractive to stay. The company is now using its capacity to produce high technology AI powered products, such as virtual reality glasses. This lecture lasted forever, I know, but please bear with me for this last topic in the chapter, which is strategic groups. Strategic groups are clusters of firms that share similar strategies such as Trader Joe's and Aldi, Walmart and Target, or Amazon and Walmart on E-Trade side. So some groups of firms are more similar to each other than other firms in the same industry. You make the comparison based on these dimensions, breadth of product and geographic scope, price and quality, degree of vertical integration, and type of distribution. But to be honest, it's more on the criteria that um, what generic strategy they follow. Reason for grouping firms according to their strategic focus is that firms in the same strategic group share commonalities in terms of the five forces we just talked about. For example, rivalry will be greater in firms that are alike mostly because they fight for the same customer or a supplier group, or they most rely on same suppliers. Identifying the strategic group your, your organization is in also helps to decide where threats or opportunities may lie. Here is a strategic grouping of the worldwide auto industry. Note, not all firms are included, um, only the four major groups, high-end luxury, those with exclusive cliente and little rivalry from other groups. Second is low price um, and quality. Third is high price quality. And the fourth is firms with a broad range of products, uh, multiple price points. Consider how Ford and General Motors must monitor trends in this industry. The movements of um, the various strategic groups can help predict the future volatility and intensity of competition. Members of a strategic group can consider overcoming mobility barriers and migrate to other groups that they find attractive if they are willing to commit time and resources. <laughs> 